Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 203 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for being here with me today. Today, today, today. Before I introduce today's guest, a couple of quick announcements. The Simply Profitable Designer Summit is an online summit happening right now. It kicked off this morning, Monday morning. If you do not have your free ticket to that event, go get it. Summit.davetalksprint.com. That's where you can get your free ticket to that event. 30 plus design experts all helping you be more efficient and increase your income in your design business. It may be a side hustle right now. You might be full-time freelance. There is going to be something for you at this summit. To get your free ticket, summit.davetalksprint.com. Now, way back in the day of the Quickie Podcast, now not so way back, I interviewed a good friend, Mr. Bill Gardner from Gardner Designs. Bill has been in the game a long time along with his Logo Lounge book. Logolounge.com is looked at by hundreds of thousands of designers for logo inspiration, ideas, and just creative thinking. They publish a book every single year full of logos, and there's judges that judge these things, and you submit as many logos as you want to this thing. And it's such an awesome movement, and I support it wholly because it's print. And you know I have a big passion for print. So right now going on is the Logo Lounge logo submission for book number 12. And this year, for your submission fee, you get unlimited submissions. So don't miss your chance for a spot in the next book. It'd be pretty freaking cool to have your logo in a Logo Lounge book. Show your friends, show your mom. You know, sure she'd be proud. The deadline for logo submission for this book is May 1st. So to find out all the information about it, go to logolounge.com. And right at the top, you'll see a big like number 12. Go there. That's where you'll get all the information. The Logo Lounge book has been the best-selling logo design book series on the planet. Juried by a panel of 10 logo design giants and geniuses, only the world's top logos make the cut into this book. Winning logos get published in the book, and that is just freaking cool. And of course, then you join like that prestigious group of, I had my logo in Logo Lounge 7. Did you have your logo in Logo Lounge 8? You know? Anyways, guys, go submit some logos to this thing. This year, there will be 3,000 winning logos selected, and there are designers from all over the globe submitting logos for this book to try and win a spot in this book. Deadline is May 1st. Go to logolounge.com, and that's where you get all the info you need. So today's guest, today's guest, number 203. Is a good friend of mine, Chris Zawada. We uh, worked together on a packaging project back in the day, and that was sort of our first introduction to one another. He has since partnered with a couple of genius creatives and uh, started their own agency. Chris Zawada is the partner and lead of creative at Full Punch out of Vancouver, BC. Love that name. During this episode, we talk about how he started his career in Tirana, the T.O., I bet he's had. Uh, I bet he's had some of those uh, burgers. What are those burgers called out there? Oh, from Burgers Priest. 
If you're ever out in Toronto, you got to go to Burgers Priest. My God, are they delicious. Also, during this episode, we talk about his time spent in Venezuela, working hard on a beer brand and design for a beer brand. We then talk about the job that turned out to be the worst job he has ever had. Funny one. Funny story in that one. We then get into the conversation that he had with a guidance counselor that pointed him in the direction of design. You know, I I hear this so often, a teacher or a guidance counselor or somebody, um, you know, in this in the designer's education system or in their schooling circle somehow, you know, says, hey, what, what about graphic design? You're pretty, uh, pretty creative. What do you think about that? And it just like ignites a whole career direction for, for these people. It's amazing. We also get into the company rebrand that he was recently wowed by. Wow, wow, we were wowed by. We talk about Paw Patrol. Who's your favorite Paw Patrol? Is that the right term? Paw Patrol? Who's your favorite Paw Patrol? Anyways, we talk about the early days of his design career in the packaging game, creating a bunch of packaging, and we talk about a little troll and a chocolate wave, and you just have to listen to find out what that's all about. We get into the times in his career where he actually questioned if he really wanted to be in design, really wanted to be doing what he was doing. Then he shares a doozy of a story about a project he was a part of for uh, a golf ball box that went sideways off the rails and he learned a good old lesson there and so much more. This episode is jam-packed. I have teased too much. I have talked too much. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to the soothing voice of Mr. Chris Zawada. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Hey Chris, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. We're working from home. We're staying clean and safe. But we're we still are, working. We're still working. Uh, I've got uh, a dozen bottles of red wine on the way and <laughs> save on orders in. Uh, I'm good. I'm good for, I mean, the dozen bottle of wine, I might be good for the rest of this week, but we'll see. I was going to say, that's not going to be too much with the kids home. No, no. I've got, I've actually got another order in, so I'm trying <laughs> to keep up. Perfect. Um, are you ready for a quickie, Chris? I am. Let's do this. Fantastic. Well, let's start with the tough stuff. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, my name is Chris Zawada. I am a partner and head of creative at Full Punch. Uh, we are a Vancouver-based uh, creative agency. I've been a designer, uh, art director, uh, creative director, uh, You know, sort of working from the visual side of, of this industry my entire life. I, I went to school for... Uh, what, at the time, the program was called Graphic Design and Advertising. Uh, it was a three-year program at a school called Conestoga College back in Ontario, just uh, outside of Kitchener. In Ontario, and, I didn't know that about Ontario. you. Yeah, are you from Ontario? I My whole family is, but I was born out here in uh, Vancouver. We're like Southern Ontario, yep. Chatham, Ontario kind of folks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're not far. You're about... Uh, 
40 minutes uh, west of, uh, of where I'm a little closer to uh, to the border down yeah. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, so I grew up in that area. Um, I, I lived in Toronto for uh, for a period of time uh, after I graduated school. Um, not much to offer in in my hometown in the way of uh, of, uh, you know, a, a real big industry um, uh-huh. for for design and advertising. There are a few shops, but, you know, they're kind of, I think you run the course pretty quickly if you, if you want to move around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to Toronto also just to get away from my parents, I think, and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of be, be, uh, be out of the nest and, uh, and have some fun and get in trouble. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I worked for, uh, an, uh, an agency there, a branding agency called Dollary Redmond Freibauer. They were, uh, quickly acquired by Future Brand, um, during a time when, yeah, everything was kind of booming and uh, Future Brand was sort of snapping up agencies uh, left, right and center around the world. So we were the first Canadian office for Future Brand. Wow. Uh, got some great opportunities. I very, very early in my career spent some time in Venezuela working on the uh, the Polar um, uh, beer brand down there. Uh, wow. That was that was pretty uh Pretty fun, uh, pretty crazy time. It was just after Chavez uh, got into power, so it was uh, it was a little scary at times. Yeah. But um, you know, when you hear like your client uh, uh, has like decoy cars taking their kids to school and stuff for fear of uh, of kidnappings, that wow. uh, puts things into perspective. Uh, but uh, you know, I've always had aspirations to be out west, um, big snowboarder and uh, and mountain biker. Uh, back when I had time. And uh, so, you know, this is sort of the Mecca for that. And yeah, back uh, when you had time 30 years ago or so. <laughs> that, about that. Yeah, yeah. And I was a little, I was in a bit better shape too. So <laughs> it made things a little easier. Um, but uh, yeah, I always had aspirations to come out here. And uh, one day a friend of mine said, look, I'm moving to Whistler. Um, you want to come with me for the drive? Uh, and then see where things go. And I thought, well, you know, go for the drive, hang out for three weeks or so, and then, uh, come back to Toronto. And then I kind of said, uh, ah, you know what, fuck it. I've got, uh, I've got my, my possessions fit in my car. Uh, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have anything tying me down. Let's see what this is about. So I moved out to Whistler for a little bit. Um, funny enough, started working for one of the Vancouver agencies who had an office there at the time. It was Wasserman and Partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a very small office to handle the Whistler Blackcomb account. Uh, so I was lucky in that I was able to kind of just jump right back into my career. I, I was fully expecting to make coffee, flip burgers, uh, be a snowboard instructor, and just, you know, live the, the shred dream uh, for a year or so. But, uh, you know, I was able to kind of do both. Um, and then, you know, Whistler kind of ran its course and it was time to, uh, kind of take my career seriously again, uh, and, um, moved to Vancouver and, uh, spent, uh, a year or so as small agencies, uh, design agencies in town and then landed at taxi, uh, just after, after they opened. Got Bunch it. Set, and then uh, did freelance for a little bit. Uh, and now I'm here. Got it. So that's definitely made your way around through the agencies and a lot learned and picked up from that. I'm going to assume. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, you know, I had the uh, opportunity to work for really small, you know, 10 person shop to, you know, 50 plus to did a little in-house stint for a snowboard brand, uh, which I thought was my dream job and turned it out to be the (laughs) one of the worst jobs I ever had. Uh, Not because of the people or uh, the brands, but working with a bunch of people who are really 
really smart and talented, but not the most motivated to work hard. Uh, <laughs> and just so, want to go uh, shred, brah. Just want to shred, brah. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of that. Uh, a lot of that. A lot of just, yeah, uh, it was very different for me. Uh, and it was just really boring. Uh, so it was like, <laughs> I got to get out of here. <laughs> nice. Okay, Chris, yeah. I want to kick this back even further than that. I want to ask you a little bit more about your childhood. And really, I want to get to the core of when was this design route, this creative route? When did that switch get flicked for you? What was that moment? Uh, you know, I think there's always been an element of creativity in my family. Uh, my mom's a potter. Uh, so, you know, she she always really encouraged us to draw and be creative and do crafts and, you know, play with clay and, um, so I think it was just inherent, you know, it was, it was, there was, whether it was something I was going to follow as a, a career path or not, um, there was going to be a, some shred of creativity in my, in my bones, uh, whether I liked it or not. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in, in those early days as a kid, I remember, you know, drawing out my snow fort and what it's going to look like in the winter and like even putting out the bottom designed by Chris, um, <laughs> having no idea what that meant, but probably heard it somewhere and thought it sounded cool and made it official. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it was one of these things where um, art was always a part of my life and, and creativity. I never really thought of it as a career. Um, I, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be a scientist or something, you know, it's math related until I realized I wasn't good at math. Um, (laughs) and and then, uh, one day, you know, my guidance counselor sat me down and and was like, Hey, you know, like you can make a go of this thing. Um, it's, it's called graphic design, you know? And it's like, well, what the hell is graphic design? And, uh, he's like, let's, you know, it's, it's like, have you ever seen a, you know, like a soda can or a magazine or, and, you know, he's like, okay, yeah, so somebody has to create all that stuff, and that can be kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, surprisingly, my high school actually offered a graphic design course. Oh, wow. um, it was one year, I believe it was in grade 11, and so I took it, and I fell in love. Um, I was never destined to be an artist in, like, a fine art sense. Mm-hmm. I was far too anal. Uh, I didn't have a, like a looseness to my style. Like if I was painting, I was trying to replicate something exactly, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, true realism and, um, graphic design, like kind of lent that sort of precision. Um, and, uh, and what I, what I really liked. And I think I got that from my dad. He's, uh, he's, uh, comes from a tool and die background. Uh, he apprenticed and worked with Mercedes in Berlin, Mm -hmm. um, back uh back just after uh well i guess years after the war um and so i kind of paired this like very technical um you know sort of anal quality with uh more of my mother's artistic side and i feel like it kind of kind of created the best of both worlds in that you know very uh focused to detail um but also having that creative side so so i can easily see where that sort of um you know math and and academic pursuit originally came from and then it was the, yeah. the meeting with the guidance counselor was like, now that sounds cooler. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it was also like, you're not going to be a science. Have you seen your math grades? It was like, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. I failed grade nine math. I had to go to summer school. This is all coming back to me now. Yes, that's right. I've not set, to, set out to be a, to be a, uh, a scientist uh, by any means. And, uh, and yeah, the academic side, even more so my, my father, you know, later in his career, 
um, ended up becoming a chairman of one of the colleges in town and, you know, is uh, responsible for setting up programs and whatnot. So, uh, you know, school and uh, academia was always uh, a, a big thing in, in my family. Mm-hmm. Crazy. That's cool. I love, you know, I love hearing these stories about when people really got turned on to design. And most of the time, it is a counselor or a teacher or somebody in school that brings it up with them or sees a quality in them and then tells them about this industry that they otherwise wouldn't have really heard of till later, which is a graphic mm-hmm. design degree or an art degree or something like that. So such a cool moment. Um, Chris, I want to know now, what has been the most influential design of your life so far? Something that you saw, maybe it was earlier in your career or more recent, but something you saw that has just stuck with you since? Oh, man. I mean, that's such a loaded question. Uh, you know, it's like to rattle off like book worth of, of uh, influential or inspirational work. Um you know, I'll go with something that that's popped up recently. Um, and I, I always love when I can see or when I see, um, you know, big brands that have kind of uh, fallen to the, the wayside and um, are no more or, or no longer really relevant, come back to life, uh, mm. come back to life with a with a with a big punch. And uh, I think the work that uh, Pentagram recently did for uh, the Fisher Price rebrand is just beautiful um you know they've been able to retain a lot of what the brand stood for and i think like even thinking back as a kid um you know i was at my in-laws uh recently and um seeing some old toys from like the 70s where i was like i remember that and you know the old fisher price logo on it and uh and you know the brand's sort of lost its way in in recent years i Mm -hmm. think um you know there's probably a lot of reasons why that we don't know from an operational standpoint and mm-hmm. marketing standpoint, but I think it's also just a, a matter of not really evolving with the times and a lot of new brands kind of popping up. Um, and uh, so, yeah, to see them kind of go and, and come back to their roots of, uh, of really being about fun. And uh, like, I love their tagline of just let's be kids, you know, and it's not just from a kid's perspective, it's from a parent's perspective too. Yes. And I think, you know, the TV spot uh, that Wyden did with uh, with John Goodman is like kind of touches on that. Like, you know, he's sort of like I, I see it as like I'm sort of the parent and here are the kids and we can all have fun together. And, you know, if you're a parent, like one of the biggest struggles is like, oh, God, you want me to play Paw Patrol again? You know, <laughs> like I can't do it. Like, yeah. I just can't do it yeah. again. So. Uh, so yeah, I think they've done like an amazing job. I think we're still seeing some of the stuff roll out, but, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's great thinking behind it. Um, there's reason behind it. Uh, I think they're back and, um, I think that, uh, Pentagram has once again taken an old brand and brought it to life without reinventing it completely. Yeah. Oh man. So Chris, really important thing that I just thought of sort of while you were talking about that. Um, who is your favorite Paw Patrol? Oh God. Um, I don't know, man. Like the one I don't have to play with. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I kind of go with like, you know, it's funny. Cause like, I remember seeing kids wearing Paw Patrol and I was like, what the hell is this? And I know nothing about it. Um, yeah. and it, the one I kept seeing was chase. Yeah. Uh, so, it's like, I, I feel like he's kind of the hero. Um, yeah, I've been to so Paw Patrol birthday think- party with chase. Oh man, I was at Paw Patrol Live uh, oh, about a yes. month ago. Uh, my my three year old son um, like 
like he barely blinked. Like I had to like snap my fingers in front of his eyes a few times. I didn't know if he was liking it or if he hated it. But like, <laughs> are you still breathing? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> like, he was there with the chase costume and all. Uh, um, and uh, you kind of look around the sea of of people. It was at uh, it was at Rogers Arena, and uh, basically every parent was just glued to their phone. Like, take me away from this hell! And all these kids were just like <laughs> loving it because they've lived it for uh, eight hours before going. <laughs> Oh God, seriously. Like thing we do for kids. So I would say Chase for the only reason that like he's like kind of the one I I knew before I really knew anything about Paw Patrol. But yeah. you know what? I'm I'm an equal Paw Patrol opportunity parent. <laughs> equal Paw Patrol opportunist. That's yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. Awesome. Um touching back on that recent rebrand for Fisher Price, you know, there's definitely a huge bit of nostalgia in that too, from when it was, you know, at its height, you know, probably when I was a kid, at its height. Um, and then now all of us being you know, being in our thirties and early forties and that getting to that sort of next level, revisiting it again and having all of those memories and that nostalgia playing off of that. Yeah, totally, totally. And that's just it. Like seeing those old toys brought back like instant memories of putting myself in the place in my house where I was engaging with it. And uh, I think that's true for a lot of parents when they engage with this brand. It's, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, this is what I grew up with and I want my kids to as well. 100%. So Chris, staying on that sort of category, that influential category, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow? And what is it about them that you like? Uh, I mean, I guess kind of keeping with the the pentagram theme, um, I mean, Michael Beirut has, I mean, the guy is a genius. Um, You know, he's, he's done so much for pentagram. I mean, he's been there for, I think, almost 30 years now, if not more, Um, you know, pentagram works with some of the biggest brands and like love them or hate them. I feel like you're really, it's polarizing with Pentagram. It's like people either love the work or hate the work. Um, you know, I think they put a lot of great thought into the stuff they do. Um, I think he's been an influential part of really, uh, making that happen. I mean, there's obviously, you know, the, 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 the classics and the go-tos of, you know, Milton Glasser and Paul Rand and Peter Rams. But, uh, yeah, I, I think like for people who are still active and, you know, kind of like setting themselves up for the Creative Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. um, I think Michael Beirut is uh, is great. And I love, you know, like all his old sketchbooks that he's kept. Like he's just he's a really interesting guy. I haven't heard him speak yet, um, but hopefully at some point uh, I'll get an opportunity to uh, to do that. Um, you know, brands, again, it's like there's so many it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to pick one, but. I mean, really for me and and kind of going to where, you know, we started with full punch, it's just like brands that have impact, you know, like brands Mm -hmm. that are standing out, brands that are like taking a chance are bold with their creative, um, you know, based on on really sound strategy. Um, You know, I I love, I just, I love seeing that with brands. I mean, I think there's a lot of like just sort of mediocre stuff out there right now. Um, And I think that, um, you know, the ones who are being a little more, uh, a little more ballsy and uh, and 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 creating um, you know work with impact. Uh, they're the ones that are standing out for sure. Um, yeah. So do you think that you know that you know it's a little bit <clears throat> bland out there right now? Out of sort of the how would you word it? Sort of like the fear of um, uh, sort of people having an issue with your creative or having a problem with it or offending somebody in sort of this 
offend, offended culture? Uh, I mean, maybe that plays into a little bit. I really think it comes out of like, there's just a lot of complacency right now with brands. Mm. I think there are a lot of, you know, I don't want to throw everybody under the bus cause it's not across the board, but, mm. um, you know, like you're seeing a lot of complacency. There's a lot of indifference within brands and, um, you know, I think it, it can stem from a lot of different reasons. I mean, it's, it's, I can't imagine what it's like to be a CMO and having to be making the decision on like looking at the Fisher price. It's like, you know, do we rebrand completely? Is it like, do we keep anything? Do we, you know, like it's a, it's a big move and they're spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you look at the stuff that's getting noticed and the stuff that people are talking about, it is the work that's, you know, is, is really tapping into a great insight. It's a sound strategy. Uh, and has that that bold creative to uh, to to put behind it? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, so I'm really interested to hear your answer on this next question, Chris, because you hadn't mentioned it yet, but you used to run a blog called Lovely Package, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Is this like this is kind of like a, the Nardwar interview where like you dug out all this like information about oh, me? Oh, brother, <laughs> <laughs> I've already skipped over a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm interested uh, yeah. to hear your answer to this next question with that, um, you know, information in the background there. Um, sure, sure. But I want to hear how you have utilized print and packaging design in your career. Any stories around print or packaging, special projects, unique experiences that you can speak to or share with us? Um, well, I mean, like print's been a big part of my career. Um, you know, you're like <laughs> to, 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 to date myself, uh, you know, I mean... I think when I was in school, my, my school had an HTML program that I was just starting up. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember, uh, dabbling a little bit in it and being like, this is not for me. Um, so, you know, I mean, print has always been a huge part of, uh, of, of my career. I, I've, uh, you know, especially starting out in packaging, um, you know, working with, tons of different um you know printing processes like you know working back with like flexo um you know in the day i think it's gotten better now but you know your i forget what your docking was it was gigantic you know so it was like if you want to have a gradient it's gonna like stop here and have like a hard banding or you know everything had to be solid colors and uh you know it was really limiting i remember my first uh project when i worked at future brand um i worked on a a chocolate drink for uh for yeah, the you know the brand yoohoo uh no uh, I don't. out of the states okay it's a pretty popular uh american uh they call it chocolate drink because there's actually no milk whatsoever <laughs> I love in that. it i love that <laughs> uh, it's it's chocolate powder and water which tastes like chalk for the most part yeah. uh, but highly popular in the u.s um so they have sort of these sub brands in different uh regions of the states and um, I think the brand, the company, parent company at the time, I think it was called Austin Nichols. And uh, they had this one called Brownie Chocolate. Uh, I can't remember which region it was. I think it was a little more like Northeastern. Um, and uh, so I worked on it. It was one of like the first project I ever worked on. And, and back at, at Future Brand, we kind of like, they, they would pit designer against designer, which I don't believe in at all. But at yeah. the time it was like, Oh, I'm up against the senior designer. Um, like I want to nail this. So I worked my ass off and I ended up getting my design picked, uh, which was a, um, so the chocolate brownie was this little troll with a red hat. Uh, and I thought it was a good idea to have the, uh, little troll, um, surfing on a chocolate wave. Um, so, uh, 
I still have the can somewhere, I think, in my parents' house. Uh, I need but, a picture or something. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure I can. I'm sure I can dig up at least even an old file because I'm I'm a hoarder uh, when it comes to that stuff. I keep everything. Um, but uh, you know, long story short, uh, you know, I didn't realize the limitations to printing at the time, and uh, you know, I'd worked with this illustrator, and we did all these like crazy, you know, um, gradients, and uh, you know. nothing was like a solid color and um like all this depth and texture to it and then uh i remember and also like not realizing that you know it was like i think we were able to run on a six color press um not realizing that that's like individual like specials not running or color you know so it's like oh i'm I'm using like 20 colors in this thing and (laughs) so this this production guy comes up to me and he was very blunt and he was just like what the fuck is this? Like, you can't make this. Like, this is impossible. Like, where do I even start? And, like, the client had already bought off on it. And, you know, like, it was just, like, the account person and me being a junior was, like, the blind leading the blind. The creative director wasn't involved. And, uh, you know, we had to refine it. And we ended up printing it. And it looked okay. But uh, it made me realize that before starting a project, I should probably talk to a production person about what's possible within this because we could have avoided a lot of that uh for sure and uh you know from that point forward it made me have a real appreciation for production and knowing that like whether you know how to do it is one thing and Mm -hmm. a lot of companies you have people who are specialized in that but i i'm a firm believer that at the very least you should have a clear understanding of how things work uh because at the end of the day i think your work will be better if you work within those um, restrictions should they should they apply? Hundred percent, so true. I love that. The troll on a chocolate wave. Yeah, troll on a chocolate. It's like it's goofy. I'll dig it up. I'll send you. Uh, I for sure have uh, an example of it. I, I mean, the, who knows? The internet might dig up some gems as well of uh, of past uh, password. But it was it was called brownie chocolate. So if you're gonna Google it, Google brownie chocolate. Brownie chocolate. I love it. <laughs> All right, Chris, next uh, couple of questions here. Take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull those horror stories out and share those with the listeners. Right after that, I'll turn it around and we'll finish up in a happy place here. (laughs) So what has been the most challenging time in your creative career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Um, wow, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't want to name names or get into too many specifics. Um, I mean, I think we all have those like challenging, uh, clients and challenging projects that we thought would never end or that, you know, were, were client directed and you just kind of, you know, you just wanted to get away from it. Um, so I'm not going to bore the reader, the listeners with, uh, with that. Um, you know, I would say that there there have been a few times in my career where I really started to question whether I wanted to do this, really? uh, you to do this. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, it, part of it's also like, well, what the hell am I going to do? Because I've been doing this for, for this long. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had a few, you know, there were moments in life, uh, you know, um, that kind of popped up unexpectedly and, 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 and spurred on some of that thought. Um, you know, there were maybe situations at different, different, um, agencies that were spurring those thoughts, but, um, you know, I, I really struggled with it uh, on many occasions. Um, 
and really kind of like, yeah, am I having fun doing this? And I think when I started to strip it all away uh, and look at why uh, I, I felt that way, there was always a reason outside of the creative aspect of it mm-hmm. that was causing that. And being able to pull myself back and really look at uh, at what is causing that and what is it that I can change that's causing that so that I can be happy again and I can enjoy this because I, I do think that the best work comes out of being happy and having fun and being positive. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's easy to get bogged down uh, by the things. So, you know, I mean, really ultimately how I got through that and work past that is, is create a change in my own, in my own career, in my own life, whether that be taking, you know, a bit of a sabbatical to, mm-hmm. to just kind of reevaluate and think if, uh, is this what I want to do? You know, there's a point where I took a month off and just kind of like, just really didn't have a plan. I was just like, I'm just going to take it day by day and, uh, and just, you know, think about things and, mm-hmm. uh, the time, uh, and then just making changes, you know, whether that be moving to a different agency, um, or, you know, going out on my own and, and working freelance. But, uh, I think what was comforting in all those situations is that like after evaluating it and really taking a close look at it is I love what I do. I love this industry. Mm-hmm. I love, creativity and coming up with ideas whether it's just an idea or whether it's executing on it um that's what gets me pumped and so stripping everything away it's like yeah i still love this so let's just continue but find a way to to find the the fun and the and the happiness behind it again so in each of those instances then you were able to pull yourself away from it and really analyze the situation each time and the the thing that remained common was your just absolute love and joy for the creative world, the creative work. And it was totally. always an external factor or some other stressor that was causing you to you know raise this question. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, you know, even in those shitty times, like, and again, we've all been in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you just pause and reflect for a second and say, like, look what I do. Like, look what my job is. Like, I've got friends who are you know, accountants and, you know, um, lawyers and, you know, those are all great professions. And if you love it, that's great. But Mm -hmm. like, it's not for me, you know? Um, and so when I start to look at the alternatives, it's like really nothing else that gets me jazzed, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, like we're, I think we're pretty fortunate to, to do what we do, uh, in this industry. Um, we're kind of misfits. Um, people don't really understand us. Uh, they, my, my mom still to this day from when I worked at TELUS just tells everybody that, or at Taxi tells everybody that I make the TELUS ads. It's like <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't worked on a TELUS ad in well over a decade, but sure, if that if that's how people understand, then yeah, I'm the guy that makes the TELUS ads. It paints a picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right, Chris, with this next one, I want to get a little bit more specific and I want to hear about a specific project or design or something that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this kind of goes back to my my early days. Um, this was like a serious shit my pants moment where it was like, wow, like I fucked up and like this is not good. Um, so back in my my first uh, stomach is like just in butterflies <laughs> now for you. Well, you'll like this because this is print. <laughs> this is print production related. Oh, so uh, so they, and I'm like, I look back on this now and I'm like, why did people give me this responsibility? Because like I would <laughs> never do that today. Yeah. Uh, 
um, with, you know, with a junior that, that I'm working with, uh, at at full punch, but, uh, for whatever reason, people trusted me, I guess. Um, so I was working on, uh, Dunlop, uh, golf balls, uh, packaging. Um, so, uh, I don't even know if they make golf balls anymore, but, uh, at the time I think they're even still considered like crappy balls, but, uh, they're kind (laughs) of like your, your Canadian tire kind of Costco ball. Um, but, uh, so I had, I was working on the entire line. It was fun. You know, I was working with, uh, this illustrator down in the States and, you know, it was like my first real big project, you know, where there were multiple SKUs, um, you know, a bunch of, of, of different, uh, different touch points to the, to the, to the product. And, uh, you know, I was like, talked to one of the production guys and was like, you know, I'm like, I've been learning a lot about production and stuff. And it's like, I kind of want to do it. Like I, I like, I like, you know, this is like my, when I talked earlier about like my parents, like this is like this, my dad's side coming out now. Right. It's like, Oh, it's really detailed and like really got to focus and, you know, like cross the T's and dot the I's and, uh, like, yeah, sure. No problem. Like we'll watch it. We'll, you know, we'll kind of like oversee it make sure everything's okay. But you know, and I, I think it was like back then it was just like so detail focused, like putting a little notes and especially like this was like, um, I, I can't remember how many colors this job was, but it was like printing on foil stock. Um, probably, uh, God, it must, I bet you it was like an eight color job. Um, you know, there was embossing, there were spot varnishes. Like it was like, it was full back, meal deal, full meal deal. Like back then, like, golf ball packaging was like toothpaste packaging it was like throw as much at it as you can and like just make it stand out on the shelf you know and um and for me i was that was exciting because it was like different and it was like i think a lot of times when you're coming out of school and uh and you're young it's like you want to kind of over design everything because you just can't make a decision and so it was like really kind of playing into that desire so anyways i did all the production and um you know, the files were sent out and the plates were made for the, uh, for the, um, uh, for the, the embossing mm-hmm. and, you know, everything was in place. And I decided that, you know what, the big, huge Dunlop logo that's going to be embossed on the front of the packaging was a little too big. So I'm going to shrink it down a little bit in size. So this is after everything's already been tooled, uh, so I went down to um, Oshkosh, Wisconsin to do a press check and we're on press and, you know, the first sheet comes out and it's like, holy shit, the logo printed does not match up with the die. Uh, the, uh, the embossing uh, plate. Um, so it's like, fuck, like reality, <laughs> reality set in at that point, what I had just done, you know, it was like, shit, like that's my fault. Uh, oh like, my, and you're at the press check and I'm at the press check clients there, print reps there, you know, we're down in the States. This is like a giant, a giant press that like, you know, this plant basically employs the entire town, you know? Jeez. Um, and, and we're talking like, like millions of sheets got to be run, you know? And, uh, it was just, a, you know, it was this, it was the first, first real, fuck up that I had and it was also the first time that I realized that like you just got to own up to this stuff like because like a million things ran through my head my face uh-huh. was like melting red you know everybody's like how did this happen and of course you know everybody looks at each other and then obviously looks at the creative person because it's like well you guys are the ones that built this 
And um, yeah, you know, it was just a, it was a moment of like a million different excuses ran through my head. <laughs> One of them being, wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of having just like a real like grown up, you know, professional moment of like, I did it and I got to own up to it. And it yeah. is what it is. Uh, and, you know, luckily, um, the, because this was such a huge, uh, operation, they actually made the plates themselves. Uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't have to ship it out for, you know, waste like a week or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically we killed that whole day. They quickly turned around a new plate, got everything set up. And, you know, at the end of the day, the client was super happy with the work. Everything else went smoothly. And so everything was fine. But, uh, you know, it, it was it had the potential to be a gigantic, gigantic, um, you know, blunder and yeah. cost, you know, tons and tons of money. And, you know, I was more worried about what was going to happen once I got back to Toronto uh, with with my um, with my bosses. I never said anything to them. Yeah, uh, that- I kept their secret. And clearly the client did, too, because nobody ever said anything to me. So <laughs> it's like it never happened. Yeah, so if uh, you know if, if my old bosses are listening, uh, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh man, you know I've been the you know on the printer side at those press checks where you sort of just go, "What? Oh man!" And you see something that you just never saw through proofing, never saw on your screen, and usually it's a glaring typo. So it's never oh, yeah. anything that's like a massive fix. But it's something where you're like, you, as the creative, you have that moment where you're like, oh, my God, that was me. Yeah, I, I yeah, it happens. And I think it happens more so uh, in today's day and age because, like, our attention span is like that of a gnat with the, you know, social media and all the distractions we have mm-hmm. daily uh, on our screens that it's easy to, I mean, I catch it where I'm like, that's so obvious. Like, oh, how did I not read that the first time I read through? Um, and uh yeah, you're right. It's usually the most obvious thing. And in yeah. this case, it was very obvious. If I'm making a logo smaller after we made these plates, which I knew we made, it's not going to line up on press. So <laughs> lesson learned. Lesson once it's learned. done, it's yeah. Once it's done, it's done. You don't touch it. <laughs> That's true. All right, Chris. Well, this is the last tough one right now. What is something you are struggling with in your design career right now? Time. I mean, honestly, like time is, uh, is, is just something, uh, I wish I had, uh, more of, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's probably a, a, a pretty common answer, but, you know, as a business owner, I think, um, you know, there's, there's so much that needs to be done. Uh, and especially when you're, you're, you know, you're, you're starting out and you're younger, um, you have to wear many hats, mm-hmm. but, uh, but time is, is, definitely the biggest struggle I have right now. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the way to get past that and my advice for any, anybody who's, you know, in the early stages of of starting a business, um, even if you're a freelancer and you're, you, you know, you don't want to say no is just getting help. You know, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you can't wear all hats. Um, you need to delegate and bring in, you know, talented, trustworthy people who can, who can do a lot of those things for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wish, uh, I just wish I had more time. You know, there's a lot of things in my head and there are a lot of things that I want to do. Um, but, uh, you know, life and, and, uh, and work, uh, are, are getting in the way. hundred <laughs> percent. That's a common theme. Yeah. Okay. Chris, let's turn this bus around. Tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of the one that just makes your heart sing. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there there are lots. Uh, the one that first popped into my head was uh, was this packaging work we did uh, back at Taxi. Uh, the client we had called um, Rocky Mountain Equipment. Uh, mm-hmm. They're out of uh, they're out of primarily out of Calgary. I think they have a bit of uh, operations in uh, in Edmonton as well. But they're an Alberta based company. Uh, they're a, um, uh, a a farm and construction equipment um, uh, supplier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess like like a car dealership for combines and you know big heavy duty equipment. Um, mm-hmm. Primarily working with the brand uh, Case. Um, they've been around forever. We rebranded them. And uh, they decided they wanted to package um, some uh, some um, of their motor oil in like you know hydraulic fluids and whatnot. Uh, so they were basically they were white labeling it. Uh, they had it in just these like generic um, containers. They were really boring, and they really had a desire to uh, to do something better. Um, and you know it's funny because like we always think of like the the sexy packaging jobs as like the the beer brand or the uh, you know, the soft drink brand or, you know, whatever, like those, those, those obvious those ones. like mainstream consumer, big volume things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and typically in a category where there's like already a lot of really cool stuff happening. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that's always resonated, uh, and, and has been in the back of my mind ever since I first heard it from my creative director, um, when I first started out and, uh, you know, he said, any brief and any project can be the next award-winning piece of work. You know, mm-hmm. um, you obviously have to pick your, your, your battles and you can't fall on the sword for everything. Um, but you know, it's like sometimes the most unexpected areas that, um, lead to the most, uh, creative solutions. So, mm-hmm. uh, so this one, you know, we were kind of playing around with it and it was like, it was a really lean job. It was like one of these, like, the client had no money, but we thought it was fun. And, you know, to bolster some of our packaging design, it was like, yeah, sure. And, you know, they were a great client, like really good, bought like good creative. We wanted to help them out. And so, you know, we were kind of approaching it a little more sort of like, you know, sort of uh, gorilla in the sense that like we kind of had a brief, but we we're kind of really loose and throwing ideas out there and working quickly and just kind of like passing it around and uh and i remember uh ben tar if he's listening to this he's uh he's president over at leo in toronto now um he just walked by and he was like the the brand was called dependable and he's like this is dependable and i was like this is dependable like (laughs) yeah like what if it's just like really like you know copy driven and it's like this is dependable blank you know product so it's like this is dependable whatever 25 30 w you know uh oil yeah this is dependable blah 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 you know axle fluid and it's like yeah because it's all about the dependability of the product to keep these machines running to you know that the product benefit is right on the on the uh, on the packaging yeah it's a bloody and, business uh, name yeah and it's like it's it's so obvious, but it's great, and it's so different for the category too. Like you know, it's kind of like a little ad in itself. Um, and so the client bought it, loved it. We produced it, and uh, it ended up going on to to win various awards. Um, uh, the one that I was most proud of is that it uh, it picked up a uh, a silver uh, Clio award. So, uh, so you know, it was cool. one of those examples of you know kind of getting briefed at first. It was like engine oil and hydraulic fluid like lame uh and uh yeah you know again just taking that advice of like every every brief every project could be amazing it's really what you want to make of it um 
And uh, when you have good people behind it who support it uh, and good insight, then the the most uh, obscure and and uh, uh, uncommon uh, products or, or products at, or packages or whatever uh, can be uh, can be pretty interesting and uh, and have better results than you think. <laughs> so awesome! This is dependable. This is dependable. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Well, Chris, you've reached the point of the show for the ask it forward question. This is where we wrap it all up. I've got a question for you from my last guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Okay. So my last guest with a question for you was Lunch Design Co. Now think about that for a second. Lunch Design, got lunch, paid lunch, lunch money, all lots of fun play on that that you could do. Um, Kaylin and Curtis are the two talents running that out of North Carolina. The question that they wanted to ask you is sometimes they are choice procrastinators. Um, so are you sometimes a procrastinator? Do you procrastinate and how do you push through it when you do? Uh, yes. And anybody who says they're not is, are full of shit. Uh, (laughs) it's an absolute lie. Yeah, an absolute lie. I mean, I'm sure there are some weird exceptions to the rule, some like non, you know, humanoid people uh, that maybe aren't procrastinators. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it's not just in my career, I procrastinate about things in life. Um, but, um, you know, to, 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 to get past it, um, you know, I think it just takes it just takes kind of like hunkering down and, and starting to find those little nuggets that kind of get mm-hmm. the ball rolling, um, you know, and, uh, and, 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 you know, just, just looking under rocks that you typically wouldn't and getting out and removing yourself from the day to day. Um, I think those are great ways to kind of get that spark going. Cause I think once you get that little, that little push and all it takes is the tiniest little push mm-hmm. of motivation then that ball starts rolling and, and you're going. Um, I would also say that sometimes procrastination can be a great asset. Um, I think that while I'm procrastinating, I'm still thinking about things and it's not like I've put it completely aside. Mm -hmm. Um, it's still in the back of my head. And I think sometimes when I'm not focused on trying to come up with the solution at that specific moment, the idea comes to me better. Yeah. So, by kind of having that little bit of a break and not worrying about it and being like, all right, whatever, I'm going to put it aside. I don't care. If I get an idea, I do. If I don't, I don't. It takes away some of that pressure. And I think that can kind of lead to unexpected um, directions that just sort of pop up uh, organically mm-hmm. when you least expect it. And again, that little spark then that kind of gets the ball rolling and gets you excited. And before you know it, that's leading to another one, to another one, to another one. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got reams and reams of, of ideas um, that you can start to work through. Awesome. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more with that. Chris, what is the question you would like to ask the next guest? Oh, the next guest. Um, man, that is a tough one. I was not expecting this question. This was not in your list. Or oh, it, it, it was. Uh, <laughs> 
And uh, actually, I should let you know that just recently, we also took this Ask It Forward question, and it is now sort of a social media carousel for each episode. So not only are you asking the next guest, but you are also asking the social audience, the listeners of the Quickie Podcast, this question. Not to add more pressure to it. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I don't feel any more pressure whatsoever. Um, my question, uh, as I stall and think about what, what that is the loveliest package you've ever seen? Will be, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my, that's my fallback. <laughs> that's the backup question. That's, that's the backup question. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'd love to hear something sort of around um, sustainability. Uh, you oh, know, what's, uh, wh- whoever we talk to next, um, what are they doing uh, to try to, uh, you know, make the world a better place through design? Uh, I think sustainability, and especially we talked a lot about packaging today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, as we know, like, landfill packaging out there um and uh you know i think we all as designers i mean lovely package i've you know i've struggled with with what it is now and if i were still i mean it's still around but like should we celebrate a package that is beautiful and could be highly creative and conceptual but contributes to our landfill is that something that should be celebrated is that something that we should applaud and say yeah great you know i kind of feel like no we shouldn't we should you know, we should celebrate um, brands that are trying to make a change, um, you know, through alternative uh, materials and whatnot. So, yeah, my question is, uh, what uh, what are they doing to help that? And if they're not, what are their aspirations? Uh, if, say, they had a, a dream client who uh, who really wanted to uh, take steps in that direction, what, what they would uh, propose? I love it. That's a great question. Chris, you've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast, man. Thank you so much for your time and for being my guest today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for spending some time here and checking this out. If you dig what you're hearing on the Quickie Podcast, please let me know on Instagram. Let me know through a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. Just let me know you're out there. Let me know it's more than just my mom and dad listening here. Thank you again. And uh, just remember, when in doubt... Draw a troll on a chocolate wave. All right? Well, see ya.